We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a Saturday night edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. Let's get rolling. We've got the All-American Robbie Hummel with us tonight. We've got Sports Illustrated's Kevin Sweeney with us as well. I'm John Fanta. And folks, what a feast week it has been in college basketball. We'll wrap up with some NTE finals on Sunday. But the game of the year thus far in college basketball comes last night when Gonzaga and Duke clash and the Blue Devils pull it out 84-81. An incredible game, gentlemen, back and forth. And we had After Dark last night with the Miller brothers, you, Robbie, Jeff Goodman. The immediate reaction happened. But when you have a game of the season, it's the type of game that you could take 24 hours and reflect and think about a little bit further. So, Robbie, having been through this game and having had some time to think a little further about it, what's the first thing that pops in your brain? when you think about the first matchup between Gonzaga and Duke this season? Just that it was a high-level game. I think when you look at what both teams were able to do, I thought Duke defensively did some really good things, and Gonzaga was still able to have some sequences where they scored the ball at a high level. They ended up with 81. I thought Duke's guards were really impressive. The the way they got in the paint, the way they pressured the basketball, it reminded me of when I – used to play and we played Duke and that's what they would do. Their guards would get into you. And basically coach K would say, if you're going to beat us, you better handle our pressure. And the way to do that is to drive the basketball, um, have some pressure releases, but if you can't handle that, they heat you up. They take out what, what you really want to do. I thought they did that at times against Gonzaga and Gonzaga has great guards. Um, it, it was just, there was so much high level talent on the floor. And I think also what stood out to me was how much better, certain guys have gotten, whether it's Julian Strother or, or Wendell Moore, like those guys have, have elevated their games to be high level college players. And, and you know what? Good for them. Cause they, they waited their turn. And, and now look at, look at how good they are. Yeah. I mean, I thought Strother in particular, a guy who's completely changed his body from when I remember watching him in high school, international competitions, you know, barely played last year. He's like, he's the Gonzaga way right there. You know, a guy who barely plays as a freshman. He doesn't, he doesn't bounce. He sticks around. Now he's a starter. He's lean. He's hitting shots from the outside. He had 20 points. He was awesome in this game. You know, Gonzaga would not have been in that game late without Strother and Rajir Bolton. I think that when you look in the preseason, people weren't even sure those guys would start. It was all about Hickman. It was all about Salas. Those two guys were, were awesome. But I think to me, the biggest, the biggest takeaway from this game was the, 
impact that Mark Williams can have on a, on a game and the impact he can have in particular in a matchup with your Timmy. I mean, he was awesome. Obviously the five blocks gets, gets talked about a lot, but he just controlled the paint and made Timmy work. I mean, even, even on the buckets he had, those were tough shots. He didn't have a lot of, you know, when you look back at the Texas game, for instance, you know, Timmy had a lot of easy post-ups where, you know, there, there was not a lot of physicality. He was able to get into what he wanted to do. Every bucket that Timmy had, it felt like he had to really work for. And that's, that's a huge recipe for success when, when you're playing this Gonzaga team. Duke did a really good job of executing his game plan. I thought Keels, you know, really shot the ball poorly, but his defensive pressure, him and Moore, you know, like you said, Robbie, did a great job of, of making Gonzaga's guards uncomfortable. And that was enough to, to get them across the finish line and what was, you know, a thrilling game. I thought after the UCLA game, it was, it was hard to see anyone, you know, standing up with this Gonzaga team and, Duke proved they could do it for 40 minutes. And like, like you alluded to, Fant, at the top, hopefully we get this one again. Hopefully we do. And I think the biggest takeaway from Duke's win over Kentucky in the opener and what we saw again last night, and it means so much more that you're able to do it against a, a program that frankly came in. Gonzaga had won 67 of their last 70 games heading into last night, which is just purely ridiculous. And you look at what Duke – has done in both of those signature wins off the top of their season. The length defensively is a constant. This is not an elite perimeter shooting team, but if you defend at the level that they defend at, that's how you win a national championship. When you do have a transcendent player on the floor in Paolo Bancaro. And what was the biggest question? Okay. Maybe they aren't an elite perimeter shooting team, but can they have enough play out there to make other things happen for people? And the fact is, we were asking heading into this season, would Wendell Moore Jr. take the leap? Would he take the leap that people expected him to take? Guys, I thought he was an orchestrator with the basketball last night. He goes six for 10 from the field. He goes with six assists. He's got six rebounds in this game. He created, he made the right plays. And when Bancaro has the cramping issues, Wendell Moore Jr., he stayed steady. He was that steady presence. For as much as I think Duke's constant is that, yeah, Mark Williams and a very serviceable backup, one of the better backup postmen in the league in, in, in college basketball, rather, and Theo John are, are present for Duke. That wasn't the question I was asking about Duke heading into this season. The question I was thinking about was, will Wendell Moore Jr. be able to complement everything well and create? And if they're a team that maybe they don't have elite-level shooting on the perimeter, how do they compensate for that? And the answer to that question has been, Coach K stayed on campus all summer long and put in defense with this group, and they are connected as hell defensively out of the gates this season. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just say, I think on both ends of the floor, one of the things that that struck me with Duke is when you're dealing with these younger teams, I think early on, and you've seen this with Kentucky's teams over the years with Cal, right? Like it takes a while for everyone to understand what their role is. And it just felt like in this game, everyone for Duke knew who they were supposed to be. Right. You know, I thought more did a good job of, of, of facilitating when he needed to, but also attacking when he needed to. I think Williams and John have bought in unbelievably well into being this kind of 
defensive enforcer. I mean, John has John, John almost strikes you as like a nineties backup center in the NBA, the way he's just <laughs> kind of coming in and, and banging bodies for as long as he can. He's got his fouls to give and he's going to, going to use them. So you know, I just think everyone understands what their role is. Obviously it starts with Paolo and his ability to create shots at really from anywhere on the court, but you know, I, th- I thought there might be some questions about how the role allocation would fit with the three guards and Keels, Moore, and Roach, who all can handle the ball. And it just never felt like there was any question. The ball kept popping on the perimeter. And, and, and guys who had the opportunity to go make a play made a play. And a young Duke team made some plays against some pretty old, experienced Gonzaga guys. I know coming into this season, I, I had major questions about their point guard play. And, and Jeremy Roach got a big bucket last night, but outside of that, did sort of struggle at times. But the fact that you have three ball handlers – where you could spread it out from, from Keels, Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, and, and the way they just got in the paint. I mean, they, they lived there. And it was – if they weren't scoring it, they were kicking it out. They didn't shoot a great percentage, like you said, John, but, but there's multiple dribble drives to the paint. And, and when you get that, good things are always going to happen. Uh, back to their defense, it, it is such a wonderful thing to, to know as a defender that, hey, I can pressure this guy and get into him and know that regardless of who we got playing center, Mark Williams, Theo John, they are cleaning it up at the rim. I mean, I mean, those guys are altering shots. And, and, you know, Kevin talked about Theo John being an old school center. Outside of Purdue, how many teams have a backup center where they're going to just throw in the ball and be like, Theo, go get us buckets, get us a right hook, get us a left hook. There's not many, many teams in college basketball that are throwing the ball to their backup center and feeling confident that he's just going to ISO and, and get, get you a bucket. They're a complete team. They have – Outside of their perimeter shooting, they've got just about everything. And like you said, John, I really believe that they can make up for that in other areas. They, Duke is as good as anybody. If they're the number one team in the country tomorrow, first Monday, they deserve it. I think you can make the argument between them and Purdue, but, but they, they totally deserve it with the way they looked against Gonzaga. I would put Duke number one on Monday, Kevin. Yeah, I think I think you have to put them at number one. I, I, I still think, quite frankly, that – that Gonzaga's right there. Obviously, you're not going to put them put them number one when they just lost to Duke on, on Friday on a neutral court. But, look, I think Gonzaga, Duke, and Purdue are starting to, to separate themselves. And But there was no more impressive win than what Duke was able to do to this Gonzaga team. Remember, like 72 hours before, Gonzaga looked completely dominant against one of the oldest, most experienced teams in the country in UCLA. I mean, there are 20-point blowouts where – a team fought for, for a half, that game was never close. You know, that game was over at the U16 at the first half. And so, you know, for, for Duke to then come out and, and play the way that they did, as fearless as they were, I think speaks volumes and why they'll be, they'll be number one in my poll uh, on Monday. Robbie, it's November, you know, and, and the calendar does turn this week, but it's just so, so early. Uh, and Bill Self said it a couple weeks ago after the Champions Classic. He's like, you play two seasons before the real season begins. Like that, yep. that's, that's the way that he put it. So if you're Mark Few and you look at this week, you dominate a very strong UCLA team, a team that was going through some illnesses. Nonetheless, you, you beat them handily. You didn't play your best last night. You actually had maybe your worst half of the season in the first half. Like at times Gonzaga couldn't hit a shot. They were down by three at the break. If you're Mark Few, how would you feel about this group? And and not what they are today, but what they can be in March, April, because you want to be even better than who you are now. No, I feel great. (laughs) 
I mean, Duke, Duke's one of the best teams in the country. You said it at the times they, they didn't play well and they were right there. Uh, you know, a ball bounces a different way. A couple plays go the other way and, and Gonzaga could have won that game. Uh, I, I don't feel that Drew Timmy played his best game and credit Mark Williams for, for being a big part of that. Um, but their, their depth is, is Purdue-esque, Duke-esque. I mean, they're, I'll throw Baylor in there as well. Those four teams – have players on stacked on top of players on top of players. Um, and it's just, it, it's pretty incredible to see in, in kind of a COVID year where we're going to get some, some guys playing extra years. It's the first year where you can transfer and that's it out. But to me, the depth of those four teams is, is really remarkable. Um, but if, if I'm, if I'm Mark few, Hey, we're two out of three, you know, we get Villanova or excuse me, we, we get uh, Texas, we, we end up getting UCLA. We don't get Duke on a neutral floor. The West Coast Conference looks to be as strong as maybe uh, it's ever been. Um, yeah. So you're going to be tested for in conference play. And at the end of the day, you know, they're still going to be in position to, to have a resume that screams one seat, you know, and that's, that's what you're striving to do. So I, I think Mark Few is, is totally fine with what happened. Um, it probably gets your guys' attention. You know, if you <laughs> – Going undefeated, I, I'm not sure anybody wants to do it. It's hard to go undefeated. Um, and, and they're going to have their hands full in, in WCC play as well. But I, I think Mark Few is, is totally fine, especially seeing Julian Strahler play the way that he did. I mean, just so, so different from what he looked like last year. And I'll, I'll, I'll add to that. You know, I thought, talk, you know, in, in the press conference, Mark Few after the UCLA game, you know, he was so pleased with how they defended in that game. And obviously, again, the way the ball was popping on offense was was the story, and they picked apart a Mick Cronin defense the way few people have. But look, I mean, they were so pleased with how they defended in that game. I think this film against Duke will be a, a good lesson for them of where they still need to grow on that on the floor. And part of this is the matchup, right? Like Chet, as as skilled as he is on defense because of his shot-blocking ability – was going to be a difficult matchup to deal with with Paolo, right? He's just not physically able to deal with a guy who's 6'10", 250, and, and, and as skilled as Paolo is right now. And obviously, Timmy going in foul trouble, Anton Watson had foul trouble too. That made things difficult for, for them on D. But I just think – I don't think, especially in the first half, they contained the ball very well. Uh, they didn't do a great job of, of stopping Duke from getting the paint. And so I think, obviously, again, credit to Duke. They, they, they did a tremendous job, and they're going to be able to get into the paint against pretty much everybody. But – I think there were some things about Gonzaga's defensive effort that, that they're going to want to clean up. And sometimes it's a little easier to teach that lesson after a, a game like that, where you come up just short, uh, then, you know, we still haven't lost a regular season game in what, like 700 days, which is what they were rolling on before that. So. I'm going to turn to my one big take on everything Duke right now and college basketball for that matter, before we get to our overreactions, we've got over overreactions Coming up, uh, reaction or overreaction in Feast Week here on After Dark. Feel free to chime in with your comments, your questions, your thoughts, your concerns. If you have a complaint against Goodman, that's fine. We'll take it here in the next 46 minutes. Here's my big take, gentlemen. For a freshman in college to be as big as Paolo Bancaro is at 6'10", 250, to be as quick as he is in the lane, as smooth as he is on the floor. Grab your popcorn, because we are in for an absolute treat this season that we get to watch this kid. 
He is as unique of a player in college basketball that we have seen in the last two decades. I really mean that. And that speaks and says a lot because just a couple years ago, Zion Williamson comes in and gets mass publicity. Paolo Bancaro is a must-see player. Like, as in every time he's playing, you have to turn and you have to watch. The NBA is built on names. It's built on who's in that ESPN, that TNT doubleheader. Who are you watching? The Paolo campaign, I didn't even think that going into the season, I thought that our network talked about how great he can be. I didn't think we saw the, the, as big of a level of buzz on the major networks for him because it, Coach K's last tour did take the main headline. What we're watching right now is a player who's as unique as, as we've seen in college basketball. This is a treat, folks. And guys, I think he's the perfect modern reflection of the way that the game has evolved, the way that he plays it at his size, at his speed. He is a marvel to watch. And in that first half last night, the level of control that he had against a Gonzaga program that is more than capable of stopping those types of players was absolutely spectacular, considering the kid is a little over two weeks into his collegiate career. I just thought, watching him again last night, I thought to myself, man, it's rare that I sit there and say, I can't take my eyes off somebody. I can't take my eyes off Paolo Bancaro. I cannot take my eyes off him. That's how impressed I am with this kid. I mean, physically, you're just – I think about myself. Freshman year, I was 6'8", 195 pounds. <laughs> like, you get to school and you're 6'10", 250. Um, he, he is a specimen. There's no doubt. His skill set is advanced. I think, John, that he maybe flew under the radar a little bit because of COVID. Didn't get to have a normal, like, last year of high school basketball a lot of these kids we didn't get to see. I think that's kind of thrown off some of the maybe perceptions of some of these players. You know, we, we thought Caleb Houston was going to be great. He's been okay. But we didn't get to see him really play for on, on that level of, of high-level AU basketball, high school basketball. Um, he certainly did fly under the radar. And, and Coach K's deal had a lot to do with that. But you're right. It, the skill set, he, he, he's, he's like a Julius Randle. I mean, he really is. The, the, the physicality he brings with, the way he can put his head down, get wherever he wants. He, he can get hot. He can get to his pull-up. He can make threes. He, he's an absolute stud. It's going to be really interesting to see, and we'll, we'll get into it on, is it him or Chet? You know, and I think it's, what, what does your NBA team need? It's going to be fascinating to watch. I, I think Mike Schmitz on the, uh, the ESPN call right after the game compared him to like a jumbo Carmelo Anthony, which is, which is pretty scary. And, and again, when you saw him hitting some of those like pull-up transition threes, it was hard not to think of them, some of those big-time NBA scores because it was something you just don't see guys even attempt in college basketball very often, right? Like when, if most guys took some of the shots that he took early in that, early in that first half, you know, the, the, the coach were like, hold on, let's run our stuff. And, and, and the fact that Coach K has that confidence, I mean, obviously Paolo – you know, earn that confidence because he is, he's a bucket getter, but he's, you know, he's more than that, right? He can pass the ball. He can create in the ball screen. He can grab and go, which I think is going to wind up being one of his, you know, really best skills, you know, in, in throughout this college basketball season is just 
you know, get on the glass and go. And I think really that's one of the things that makes Duke dangerous is one through four, all their guys can really push it. I think they're going to be able to get in transition and really, really take some teams on because of that, because, you know, you know, those dudes can all handle the ball. They can all, you know, play on a ball screen. I mean, I don't think there's anyone else in the country that can have all four guys on the floor, except their center initiating a pick and roll right now, except for Duke. And that's what, that's what Paolo brings you. He's, he's a special, special player. And, you know, like you said, Fanny, he's he's must see TV right now. I mean, he can he can go for twenty. Look, if he didn't have that cramping yesterday, we're talking about a 30, 35 point ball game for him. Like as special as they come in a season performance. I mean, look, he had twenty in the first half. There was no reason why he couldn't have put up 10, 15 more. There was no one else to stop him. I and mean, Watson was the only guy who had a chance. It felt like when he was guarding him, and Watson was in foul trouble. If not for the cramping, he goes for you know thirty, thirty five in this game and. The, the narrative about him, I think, would have would have taken off even further. But he's earned all the hype he's going to get in the next days and weeks. I was 5'11", 250 in my freshman year of high school, <laughs> college, not high school. Christ. <laughs> I mean, my God, for him to come in and do this at this level, you know, and, and he's made for it, and we knew he would be, but holy cow, is he a marvel to watch. We've seen great players Paolo Bancaro is different. He's different in the way that he plays the game. There's just a maneuverability factor um, that is absolutely fascinating. All right, it's 1120 here. We're 20 minutes into the show. And tonight, tonight, we have Feast Week reaction or overreaction. So we're going to tee this up here uh, with several different takes from the week. Here's number one. Memphis was overrated coming into the season and will be a team that ends up on the NCAA tournament bubble. Robbie. Uh, I will say that that is accurate, but I am not going to say they'll be on the bubble. I'm not wanting to go that far. I, I feel like I've seen this movie with Memphis the last two seasons. Now there's more talent on the roster and that's why I think they'll make the NCAA tournament, but the pace is out of control. <laughs> like the turnovers are even more out of control. Um, they foul at a level that is like you are putting people at the line. This is what Memphis has been for a couple of years. Now, I think that because you added higher level talent, I don't think that they will be on the wrong side of the bubble. I still think they, they will make the NCAA tournament. But they have a ton they can improve on and maybe they will, but I, I am, I've seen this movie before. And for that reason, I am very worried about the Memphis Tigers. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're 350 second in, in turnover rate right now on, on Ken Palm. I mean, that's, again, I don't care that you don't have a true point guard that's playing 40 minutes a game. I would say Alex Lomax, who can be that guy, but he's really only playing you know, 20 minutes or so a game. That's that goes beyond, Oh, we don't have a point guard on the floor. That's just, that's a mindset thing. And that's a carelessness that these guys have to fix. And it's not just Amani and Duran, right? It's, it's all these guys, guys who were proven in college basketball, guys like Deandre Williams and Landers Nolly. They like, there, there has to be a pride thing that starts to kick in with this group. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm with Robbie. I think this is going to be an NCAA tournament team. They're too talented, not to, I think, you know, the schedule and the, the AAC, they're going to be able to just overwhelm a lot of people. But I, I think this weekend playing Virginia Tech and Iowa state, was a kind of a rude awakening for, for them of, you know, what they need to do to actually win games against, against good teams. And, and they did some of that against Virginia tech. They took care of the ball a little bit better. Uh, they, they made plays when they need to, but like, 
I think when you're playing St. Louis and you're playing West Kentucky and you're at home, I was willing to look past the turnover issues a little bit because look, you know, it, it, it's a packed house. You know, you're going to win big. You're trying to make plays. You're trying to do a little bit too much. As the season rolls on, if they can't start to figure this out, you know, they're going to have some real problems. And again, it, it doesn't matter how much talent they are putting on the floor because they're wasting a quarter of their possessions by giving it to the other team without a shot. It doesn't matter that Monty Bates is as gifted a shot maker as there is in college basketball. And there has been in quite some time. I mean, he is special at just going to get one. It doesn't matter because they're giving it away one in four possessions. And so look, I mean, they, they've got a lot of work to do. I think there's, you know, I, I thought the the effort was really bad. I know uh, Jonathan Gavoni tweeted about it, but like Bates and Duran just, didn't really look engaged, didn't look like they cared, were kind of moping out there. You know, someone's got to light a fire here. Uh, I don't know if it's Larry Brown. I don't know if it's Penny Hardaway. I don't know if it's Rasheed Wallace. Wallace. They've got some guys who can can light a fire, but uh, getting blown out the way they did by Iowa State, I mean, that's flat out embarrassing for a talent level, a team with this this level of talent. No matter how well Iowa State's playing early this season, no matter how hard T.J. Otzenberger has not playing, that's embarrassing to lose the way that they did. They've got a lot of work to do. This team doesn't have a playmaking guard. They don't have a guard who can create for others. And, and this was the problem heading into this season, and it's the problem that we're seeing now. Um, clearly, Virginia Tech, I mean, I don't know what to make of, of that team right now. Um, they just lost to a Xavier team that was down two starters um, and, and multiple other players. And they lost that game by one absolute heartbreaker for Mike Young and his team. I thought Virginia Tech was one of the better teams in the ACC. Probably still will be uh, because that league that league hasn't written much, uh, hasn't done much to write about. For me, guys, I, I think there's a point of talent overwhelming people in the American and them racking up American wins. But their crucial week of this season is going to be December 14th and 18th when they take on Alabama and then they take on Tennessee. Because if you don't, if you don't have the right mentality against those teams, they're going to beat you. First off, they're both tremendously coached. Okay. Like going in, you know that Tennessee's going to defend you and that Tennessee is going to make you work for everything you get. There's a pride factor there. Alabama, they lost to Iona. It's it folks. Iona could be a team that's a 14 seed on Selection Sunday and could knock your three seed off, and it wouldn't surprise any of us because that Rick Pitino. We could go on from there, but simple as that. I just don't know, and this is where I get concerned. Like, outside of Houston and Cincinnati, who's emerged, they had a loss to Monmouth. Like, I don't – when you play against this league in the American, you might be racking up some wins – it's not going to benefit your your metrics much. You're going to have to get Wichita, Wichita State too, John. Wichita State would be their one that could help you. Wichita State as well. I just I don't love the depth of that league, and I get concerned if they're not able to cash in because this non conference schedule it in December it amps up even more for this team, you know. And if they go into league play and they don't have another quality win or win of significance. You're not making everything in the American. You're not making everything in the American. You're going to have to you're going to have to beat Houston. You're going to have to beat 
Wichita State. Like, and for these kids, I agree with you, Kevin. There, there was a lack of togetherness uh, from that team last night, and Mike Schmitz uh, and, and the ESPN guys noticed it. I don't think it's an overreaction to say that Memphis um, could be firmly on the bubble on Selection Sunday. I don't think that at all. I think also when you talk about their half-court offense, Penny Hardaway's got to help these dudes with some sort of structure. At times it looks like you're watching AU basketball, you know? And I, I think last year, what was it? He went to the, the Lion offense. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> Where he talked about he had the Lion offense he ran yeah. for his AU or high school team. And it was – they just – they can't score in the half court. I mean, they, they struggle to generate anything out of their offense. And as, as long as they're turning the ball over, unless they're just murdering in transition and turning their opponent over, I, I don't know how you beat good teams. I, I really don't. They need to find a way to get something out of their half-court offense. Yeah, I, I think, again, what, what, it, what has made Memphis teams competitive when they haven't had this a level of truly elite talent has been under Penny, they defend their tail off, they really hit the glass, and they get to free throw line. And, and they're still doing all of those things right now. I just think, you know, like you said, Robbie, in the half-court, I think there's – once they get in those situations – there's just so much ego on the floor that no one knows how to sacrifice. And I think that's where they're going to figure it out. I think, honestly, some of it might just be, let's really rely on this defense, right? Let's get all of the let's, – let's come together on the fact that we can stop people because we're longer than you, we're more athletic than you, and we're going to play harder than you. And get everyone to buy in on that end. And then you know, you'll get, obviously, a ton of easy looks out of transition because they're going to turn you over. They're going to be able to run off of you know, missed threes and, and long rebounds because they've got a bunch of guys. They don't have a point guard, but they've got you know, four, four guys on the floor who can grab and go, kind of like Duke does. I think they need to kind of double down on those things, say this is what we're great at, and then obviously – and then build this offense in practice as the season goes on. It's not going to be a quick fix with this group. And, you know, look – you've got a 17 year old being the primary ball handler on the money Bates. I mean, that's, that's a challenge no matter how talented he is. Right. And, and, and the numbers back it up. He has nine assists and 17 turnovers on the season. That's not going to do it, but you know, they have to, they have to play fast and they got to make big, better decisions when they're playing fast, because right now, I mean, I, I watched a lot of the, um, the Western Kentucky game. I mean, some of the turnovers in transition were just ghastly. I mean, you couldn't believe the decisions that were being made by guy, and it wasn't just one guy. I mean, it was it was across the board, just some awful, awful decisions. So I think they need to they need to right now say, here's who we are. We are a defense first team. That may sound weird when you've got you know two future first round picks, maybe a third, and, and a guy who's hyped up in Earl Timberlake who's disappointed so far. Um, but you, you're going to have to win with this defense right now, and they're going to need those wins early, Santa, like you said, because, look, they, they, don't, they don't have the opportunities in, in the league play that, that other top teams will have. And let's be real, Kevin, that's a Western Kentucky team that's playing a dude that was a GA up until, like, yesterday <laughs> and basically plays seven people. Like, they, they were not good in the Asheville championship, so. Mm. No. We're halfway home on the field of 68 after dark. We are presented by Bet Rivers tonight and every night. And let's go ahead with number two. Reaction over reaction. Robbie, Baylor is the best team in the Big 12 and has a shot to repeat. I'm, I'm with it. Yes. Um, I mean, Kansas certainly has some issues right now. Um, I guess Texas Tech 
is undefeated, but they haven't been tested at all. Mark Adams done a good job. They've done what they're supposed to do, but their their schedule hasn't tested them whatsoever. Uh, Texas, we saw them against Gonzaga. So yeah, I, I think right now that's that's not an overreaction at all. Baylor looks phenomenal, and you have to think that as, as James Akinjo gets comfortable um, and, and gets to know his teammates better, the system better, that. I think there's no reason to think that that can't work. LJ Cryer has been great. I love Matt Meyer. <laughs> I think I think he's the most fascinating player. Like he's so talented. You watch him in warmups. He's six nine. He's cocking it back to like here. But at the same time, you're like, does this dude like work on his game? <laughs> like I don't know if he loves to play. He's just really good at it. Um, they, I think Flagler is a great player. Um, their bigs are – they play their role to perfection with Thamba and Chama Chachua. Um, and then their freshmen are, are uber talented. Scott Drew has done a phenomenal job. Like, he has been a chameleon as a coach. We played him my freshman year in the NCAA tournament in Washington, D.C., and it was totally run and gun. First team to 85 wins the game. And he had McDonald's All-Americans. And, you know, that you talk about some of the guys he had with, like, Lizarius Dunn and Tweety Carter, and they, they were loaded. I mean, they had super talent. And then they kind of went to – they were going to play an amoeba zone, and they kind of got away from recruiting at a high level. And he just developed guys, took transfers. And now he's taken transfers and then gotten back to getting recruiting classes that are crazy talented, and they just match you up man-to-man, and they guard their ass off. I mean, they play so freaking hard. Uh, they crush you on the glass. They they they're just really good. I, I think the culture at Baylor probably doesn't get like you hear about Villanova. But I think at Baylor it's it's maybe not as strong, but it's up there. Scott Drew has been phenomenal. I, they could easily repeat. It would not surprise me. Yeah, I think they have the power to repeat. That's for sure. I'll, I'll note on the culture thing. One of the things that is really valuable for them all their staff came back. Like they lost a couple guys, like lower level staffers who got assistant coaching jobs or, or promotions, but you know, their three assistant coaches, Alvin Brooks, Jerome Tang, Tang and John Jacobs are all back. And I think that's huge, right? After a national title, when they're bringing in all these new guys that, that are working in a new point guard, you know, three freshmen, obviously one hurt in lengths and love. I think that that's helped them tremendously. And, you know, you see how these guys have just bought into the Baylor way on defense you know, they, they play that, that unique style and no middle stuff that, that forces a ton of turnovers. Jeremy Sohan and, and Kendall Brown were like born to play that defense. I mean, they are long, they are athletic. They play unbelievably hard. They can block shots. They can get in passing lanes. They can handle the ball in transition. I mean, they are the full package. They are perfect. I mean, they have three, six, eight, six, nine guys who can, who can play with the ball in their hands and, and Meyer Sohan and, and Kendall Brown. And that that's a tremendous luxury. You know, I, I still think probably I would lean Kansas today. Today, I think they're older. I think Agbaji, you know, look, the, the Dayton game to me was, was a little fluky. You know, Kansas was dominating that game. Dayton hit a couple of shots. The crowd got in their favor. They're playing confident off of a win the day before. To me, that was not a, here's a huge indictment on Kansas. And look, they might have some things to still work out. I think Remy Martin has to you know, continue to understand the offense. They have to figure out a way that to, to get Dave McCormick going. But I still think Kansas is a little bit better than Baylor. But the Bears are better than I expected. And I thought they'd be really good. But, but these guys are, are bought in at a high level. The one thing I will say, the Battle for Atlanta was a tremendous tournament. The competition level that Baylor dealt with in the field wasn't quite as tough as the other side of the bracket. They went through Arizona State, 
went 0-3 in the tournament. They got worked by Loyola um, on, on the final day. They were without Marvin ba- uh, Marcus Bagley, excuse me. They got VCU, really tough team, defends their tail off, really struggles on the offensive end, really, really struggles. And then Michigan State, in their third game in three days, Michigan State's a good basketball team. I'm not convinced that they're a top 20 basketball team. So as, as impressive as it was, I do want to see them as they get tested more and more once Big 12 play happens. And obviously they have a, they have a game coming up uh, on December 12th against Villanova, but that will teach us a lot. Very different two teams, very different styles of play. Uh, but, you know, I think Baylor is certainly legit. I just think I give Kansas the very slight edge right now. The biggest thing with Baylor for me going into the season was knowing that Adam Flagler is as talented as he is, but you bring in James Akinjo, who the fact of the matter is, is on his third stop. And at Arizona, there were issues. Uh, At Georgetown, there were issues. He comes into Baylor, and when you're a player that's on stop three, the question is, are you going to embrace the culture that you're walking into? Be a part of what that is. And to to be a, a testament of what you're saying about Scott Drew, who I think is doing as great of a job in college basketball as any leader of a program in the sport right now. And that's not just because... Of a, of a single trophy. He was doing it before that in the way that he's rebuilt this program. For Akinjo to come in and for him and Flagler to be able to coexist, I think the fact that they have multiple options at the six foot nine spot, because it's so versatile, the way that they can play that spot, the fact that uh, Jeremy Soan and Kendall Brown can combine for 20 points against Michigan State. You know, you think Michigan State, you think physicality. If nothing else, you know that those guys on their front line from uh, Marble to Bingham Jr. are going to be able to challenge you at the cup. Baylor out physical Michigan State. It's day three, but you know what? It's day three for them too. It's day three for, for Baylor too. Competition or not, you're playing on an island. There's a lot of stuff going on. They defend. They defend you for 40 minutes. And the offense comes organically, meaning they don't need one player to be outstanding on the offensive end of the floor for them to win a basketball game. They they just have a collectivity and can go a legit eight or nine deep. Like not a fake eight or nine deep. They can go a legit eight or nine deep. And uh, Shamwa Chachua comes off the bench for them and came off the bench against Michigan State, makes his impact on the game in his way. So I, I love the makeup of that team. We're going to move on to our next reaction over reaction, but there's no question that the Baylor Bears, uh, they're here to stay, and I like them to win the Big 12 because I think they're a better defensive team than Kansas. I think they're a better collective team than Kansas, and I think that's going to stay. Number three, Purdue can run the table in the Big 10. Win every game? Purdue can run the table in the Big Ten. Yeah, no. No, I, they can win the Big Ten. Oh, absolutely win the Big Ten. I thought you were saying that we can win every win game. the Big Ten. I have too much respect for the uh, the venues of the Big Ten Conference. Uh, same here. Same here. That was, that was They'll definitely walk into uh, some hornet's nest. But, no, I, I think right now that that's – Yes, they, they are far and away the, the best team, the most complete team in the Big Ten Conference. They're one of the most complete teams in college basketball. Oh. I think Purdue, the depth they have, you can throw 11 guys out there 
and feel good about all 11 that are playing. Um, I thought the Villanova game, you've got two bigs who are All-American caliber players. You've got Jay Nivey, who's in a lottery pick. You've got shot makers and Stefanovich and Isaiah Thompson. Um, I think Caleb First is, is as a freshman, phenomenal. Um, Mason Gillis comes back from his suspension. They just have so many pieces that can hurt you. They've got experience. They've got a great coach. I would be shocked if Purdue did not win the Big Ten, having seen other Big Ten teams play. And just knowing that they have so much experience coming back uh, to Purdue. Yeah, I would also be be shocked. Look, I think when you've seen the rest of the Big Ten around Purdue, I, again, we, you, you said it well, Robbie, with a, a lot of these teams, a, a, lot, a lot of this, this team for Purdue, right? They're complete in every way. They've got everything you need. Uh, to win they've got the bigs they've got the elite point guard they've got the shooting I mean they've got everything you need no one else in this league looks like a top 10 team right now right you know Michigan has its work cut out for them I think Michigan will get a lot better as the season goes on I think you know I think they got to get Devontae Jones to buy in the same way that that Mike Smith did last year and and really share the ball I think the adjustment for him coming from Coastal Carolina has been a little bit more challenging. I think as Houston gets more comfortable, as they get Diabate into the rotation, I think he's going to be the starting foreman by the end of the year and be really impactful in that role. I think Michigan's the highest upside team outside of Purdue in this group. But look, I mean, they've really struggled. Ohio State has, you know, played a little bit better lately, but you know, certainly had its struggles early on and lacks that high-level shot making uh, at the top. I think you know, obviously, Michigan State and Wisconsin had really good feast weeks, but. Those teams would be overwhelmed talent-wise against Purdue. I mean, I, I watched all three Wisconsin games this past week. Wisconsin's a, a very good basketball team. They're ahead of schedule from where I expected they would be. Their, their guards really, really get into you defensively, and Davis can really score. That team would look overwhelmed and overmatched against Purdue right now because Purdue just has that level of top-end talent. And I think it's a top-end talent we really haven't seen, you know, in the Matt Painter era. So, Look, I, I think this this group is is special. They're the clear uh, the clear number one in, in the Big Ten right now. Robbie, this is the best team Matt Painter's had. Fact or fiction? Fact. I I think that just the depth and the size would would give the team that I've played on problem. I I love the team that I was on. I think our starting five was phenomenal. But when we went to the bench, it wasn't like when they go to the bench now, especially I think in the front court. Um, you know, Juwan Johnson would be, <laughs> be getting thrown up against some some huge bodies. And that would have probably been a problem for us. So when we saw that, I think Hashim Tabid, um, we, we had real problems. And they basically have a guy like Hashim Tabid. Maybe not the rim protector that he was, but the size is, is almost the same. Um, I, I think that this is Coach Penner's best team, yes. They have the traits of, uh, of a great Purdue team. The lottery power of Jaden Ivey turns them into another gear. And when you also have the best offensive frontcourt duo in college basketball, the willingness of Travion Williams to understand that it takes some sacrifice, and the play of Zach Eady, it's so unique, a unicorn of sorts. You have a bucket. In Stefanovic, what he did last weekend uh, for the Boilers was nothing short of, of outstanding. I mean, he, he's just a – he's a catch-and-shoot artist. Uh, that, that win over Carolina, he was just big time, time and again hitting in-your-eye-hole threes. 
this Purdue team is the best in the Big Ten. Man, oh, man, they, they might very well. I keep saying it. I'm going to say it again. This is the year of the boiler. This right here is the we year. We've heard that shit before. We don't, don't say <laughs> we, Something catastrophic always has happened. I, I do agree that they have the talent to, to be that. Keep telling Goodman to, like, pick Gonzaga or hang on with, like, you know, keep keep hanging with UCLA or just go all – let's have him go all in on Duke. All in on Duke. He can't come over to Mackey. He can't – he's not allowed over there. We don't need that juju. Come on. This is the year of the boiler, Hummel. I, 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 I think you may be right. We'll, we'll see. But, you know, it's all about luck. It's all about health. And it's a long season. But they do look phenomenal. All right. Number four, reaction over reaction. Kevin, Duke will win the ACC. Yeah, I mean, this – they might run through the ACC at this. I point. agree. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'll I'll say this: there's a they, there's a long history of Duke not winning the ACC when they've had the most talented team. Their last time they did it was in 2010, the year they won a national title, and they split that title with Maryland, uh, which really dates us because Maryland obviously no longer in the ACC. Uh, but look, I mean, this team, if it doesn't win the ACC, I mean, I. I, I don't know. I don't even know who you could pitch me on that, that would be, would beat this team and win more games in the 18 or the 20 game conference season. You know, look, obviously Leonard Hamilton does a fantastic job. Tony Bennett, another fantastic coach, but these, these teams don't even have half the talent that, that Duke does right now. So look, unless there's something catastrophic, you know, with, with injuries, I, I just think Duke runs through I mean, North Carolina. They've got a lot of work to do on the defensive end. Duke would the, the, the effort that Duke put on against Gonzaga, they would have scored 110 on this North Carolina team if, if they played that game on Friday. And look again, that team will get better as the season goes on, but I, I just don't see see much resistance. They're the only ranked team in the ACC right now, I think rightly so. Uh, they they could run through this thing pretty quickly. And again, tough road atmospheres. You never know what happens on the road, but I, I don't see how this team doesn't doesn't really really dominate this league this year. I agree. I just think, it, like Kevin said, Florida State, you lose, you know, a lottery pick. Virginia Tech hasn't played well. North Carolina defensively has been horrible. Uh, Notre Dame has probably underachieved. They got two losses from from their time out in Maui slash Vegas. <laughs> um, Louisville got a good win today, solid win today, I would say. Yeah, I, Duke's going to win the league. I, I don't see anybody else beating. If Duke doesn't win the ACC, I will buy everybody at a bar on Bourbon Street their first round. Oh, you're, you're, doing, you're doing a Ross team here. It's like the Wrigleyville for Northwestern if they make the NCAA, don't make the NCAA tournament. No, 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 no. This, this, one, this one's different. This one's different. I didn't, I didn't go off that. I'm telling you right now, there's no shot in hell. There's no shot in hell that anybody's beaten Duke in the ACC, for the ACC regular season championship. Um, it, conference tournaments sometimes random crap happens and you never know what happens but no this is going to be the best team maybe in the sport if not a top four team in the sport throughout the year there's nobody close to their level there's nobody close to their level in the ACC the fact is the league doesn't have depth there's not a depth of of good teams what 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 makes a league a seven or eight bid conference is when your bottom isn't all that bad. But the thing about the ACC is 
their second, third, and fourth teams, they're like they're not like top 15 to top 30. They're like top 25 to top 40. And that's problematic. And, and I actually think that if you asked America right now which program would stand the biggest chance to challenge Duke, what, if you asked America right now, what do you think their answer would be, guys? We all know what it would be. What would they say? North Carolina? Virginia. Like, there, there is no answer. Yeah. Right, exactly. They would say Carolina, and I would respond by saying Carolina's 115 in – Adjusted defensive efficiency in Kempom right now, they couldn't stop me from driving the baseline. <laughs> and I'm elusive. I'm telling you right now, this this is not this is not a league where I think I think they'll probably get four teams in. You know, maybe they maybe they somehow get a fifth. But the, this league is not what it, it was even, you know, three years ago, three, four years ago. And there's nobody that's gonna touch Duke's level. And I actually think that Duke, like, this is literally the perfect script. For, could, could there have been a better script if, if you handed Mike Krzyzewski the way that this, was, this season was going to start and the way that it could go? Part of being a national champion sometimes is you don't have to go through the gauntlet of your league and you can breathe a little bit. Duke's going to have some breathing room in the ACC potentially if the, if the chips fall where, they, where we think they're going to fall. They're not going to have to go into March thinking, God almighty, we are worn out as, as crap because we just had to go through our league. That's not the problem in this league. Like this is kind of late 90s, early 2000s vintage Duke feel where they are head and shoulders above everybody in their league. And they could win the national championship with a transcendent player, a terrific coach, but also they're, they're not going to have pressure in their league. Yeah, they're going to be the biggest act in town when they show up to some of these places. But those, those teams don't have the talent level and the defense that Duke has. It's pretty crazy, too, that they, they may not see a top 25 Ken Palm team in conference play, <laughs> depending on – as of right now, they wouldn't, which is right. because the ACC, you're just like – I think about 20 years ago when the ACC was just beating the hell out of the Big Ten and the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Yeah. I mean, some of the teams that used to – whether it's Boston College, Wake Forest, even NC State, I mean, they're just not – they're not what they were. All right, last one. Reaction over reaction here. Florida is good enough to win the SEC. Reaction or overreaction? I, I'm all in. I mean, I, I I really like this Florida team. Maybe I'm maybe I'm drinking the, the Kool Aid a little too early, but to me, I mean, this is a group that that really has all the makings of a top ten to fifteen team. And I don't think there's another truly elite team in the SEC, right? I think. Kentucky's very good. You know, they're going to they're gonna figure things out as they go with this point guard duo of Sevier Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington. We saw Alabama. I think, again, they have an NBA player in Keon Ellis, but they're not overwhelming. I, I think this Florida group has an opportunity to be right there. I mean, they have, I think, the most underrated player in college basketball in Colin Castleton. I mean, that guy is awesome. He dominates the game because his ability to, to block shots, score around the rim, he's got good touch. I think the the matchup, uh, the, the duo with him and Daruji up front. I mean, Daruji's physicality—that's that's my kind of guy right there. I mean, he he is really impactful with how he plays, and I also just love you know the energy and, and the defensive spirit that the McKissick and Flanders Fleming have brought to the table. Two grad transfers. We've seen so many teams try to figure out who are the right grad transfers to take when you're going you know after some of these 
you know, low major guys. And, and Mike White took two guys who won defensive player in their league. I think it has been an outstanding choice to go after two guys who are 100% willing to buy in and be, you know, huge, huge, big time defenders on the wing. They've changed the identity of this team. You know, I think when you think back to the last couple of years of, of these Florida teams under Mike White, they've been a little bit soft. You know, th- those teams have not wanted to, to get dirty. They've been, they've been a white collar basketball team. This is a blue collar basketball team. They really fight. They've got a point guard who makes stuff happen in Tyree Appleby and a big man in Castle who can really play. I'm all in on the Gators right now, man. I really am. I, I agree. I think that the, the transfers that they've gotten, and Colin Caston is like a phenomenal story. I saw him at Michigan a ton. He never got off the bench. He was just buried behind really good players. Goes to Florida, gets a new lease on life. Now he's, what is he, top three in Ken Palm Player of the Year? That's amazing. I mean, that is truly amazing. I, I really liked Myron Jones at Penn State. I, I think he's a shot maker. He can get to his pull-up. He can make threes. They – they get you on the glass. They play with pace on the offensive end of the floor. They'll turn you over. I think they play winning tough basketball, like Kevin said. So for that reason, with some teams kind of figuring it out in the SEC, Kevin mentioned Kentucky. We saw Auburn. They've got some serious talent, but they're still kind of figuring some things out. Um, I would say that the league is right for them to come in and, and potentially win it. I, I would not be shocked by that. I think that this league, in terms of depth of good teams, has probably four or five teams that could. Uh, <laughs> what'd you oh, lose? I dropped my pen. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're you're. I think that this league is is good enough. Like, there's four or five teams that could win it. It wouldn't shock me. It really wouldn't. I mean, I think there's a world where, and I didn't I didn't think that about Florida going into the year because. How do you know when you have seven transfers? I, I, I think that's the story. I'm sitting with Bill Raftery in the preseason at a practice for a Northeast team. And he goes, you know, uh, I've got Florida in a couple weeks. I think Mike, Mike White walks into that gym on day three or four and has to get everybody to, to look at each other and introduce themselves again. Because it's just it that's and as only Raf can do it, it came off hilarious uh, because that's how he is. But I, I just I look at the makeup of them. I like the way that again another team with a lot of versatility. I think that Castleton is big time, um, and the way that they handled the late game situation, you know, against Ohio State, to be able to, to come up with that shot, not take a timeout, and to be this young in the season, such a confidence booster for them, absolutely. They're a dog in the fight, and the Gators may be able to, to do it here in the Southeastern Conference. You, you want to know right now, like, craziest conference tournament this year? It might very well be that SEC. Like, the 1-8, one, the, one the 2-7, like, those games are going to be legit high level stuff there that that league has steadily gotten better and better and has serious depth at the top of it now florida's part of it i think we thought florida as a middle tier uh, am i buying that they could be there at the top tier absolutely we don't have a clear definition of who the top team in the sec is and that's why yeah and you you, you we kind of talked about the lack of a gauntlet in the acc i mean this thing whoever comes away with it is going to have had to had to win some tough games on the road. I mean, look, this this top seven, right? You're going to have to you're going to you're going to play Kentucky. 
not easy to go to Rupp Arena. They're talented as heck. Oscar Shibway is like, you know, that's a that's like going through a prize fight to to, to deal with him in the post for for 40 minutes, right? This Florida team, they punch you in the mouth. They're really good defensively. Uh, th- this Tennessee team, I mean, that team's got some work to do on offense. They are athletic. They are strong. They post every year that picture in the weight room of all their guys shirtless. And like, I, I, I wouldn't want to run into them. I mean, those guys are, those guys are physical. We saw Auburn. I mean, look, they're, they're athletic at every spot. And then Jabari Smith kid can shoot over you at six foot 10. Oh, yeah. Arkansas is going to play really, really hard and, and send all five guys to the glass. Like they always have under Muss. Alabama, I mean, so much talk gets about their offense and how fast they play. That that team won last year because they were blue collar, and I think they're starting to get there as well. I mean, the, the, LSU even starts start seven and zero now. They're playing a lot better basketball than I expected they would without a uh, uh, Adam Miller who went out, went down for the year early. I mean, that top seven, especially even Mississippi State. Mississippi State played a good weekend of basketball at uh, in in the Bahamas. Talk about a team that's physical. You Ben Howen team can be physical and their front court with Smith and, and uh, Jeffries and uh, Garrison Brooks. They've got some old skilled, but also really tough dudes up front. So this is a gauntlet of a lead to get through. All right. Uh, last, but certainly not least, let's get to one of the games of the day, a relatively quieter day on this feast week. We'll have some intriguing matchups tomorrow, but to start off the day, it was a little breakfast hoops. Uh, Big Ten ACC challenge starting a little bit early with Louisville taking on Maryland for the Bahamas championship. And Louisville comes out on top, 63-55. to 55, uh, And Chris Mack puts out the tweet after the game of him in front of the TV with a fist pump as uh, his cards are 5-1. and one, And now he will return to the sidelines for them off that six-game suspension when they take on Michigan State this week. But Malik Williams goes for 13-12. and 12. Uh, Jared West has seven of his final nine points uh, in the last five minutes of the game. And Louisville finished here. Um, Tough for Maryland. I have not been convinced of much at all by them early in the season. But the point is, Louisville gets it done in a critical early season measuring stick type of game for both these teams, one that you want to take. Yeah, I I thought that the game was fascinating with the runs. I mean, it was – You'd, you'd have Maryland go on a 7-0 run, and then Louisville would come right back and do the same. I, disappointing for Maryland. I, I wasn't sold on their bench early on. I, I mean, I know Goodman was 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 feeling the, the bench that Mark Turgeon had, and James Graham, as he texted us earlier, is out. Um, I'm not sure if he will solve all their problems, but Louisville found a way to win. They crushed him on the glass. Uh Jerry West was phenomenal down the stretch. I mean, he made plays and pick and roll and, and did his thing. And I, I just – I think when you look at Maryland, so much was made of Fats Russell and, and Caduce Wahab transferring in. Wahab wasn't really that much of a factor in the game. He had, he had seven points, three of nine. Um, Fats Russell, 11 points, four of 11. Eric Ayala was just okay. I, I think my biggest takeaway from the game was that I just – Maryland was just kind of blah. Yeah. They they have not looked they have not looked very good. I think the the thing that really struck me late in the game is they they took Wahab off the floor because he struggled in space defensively. They put in the freshman Julian Reese, and he I think he has a tremendous future ahead of him. I think he's gonna be a great player for this for this program. He really struggled in the ball screen coverages. He was in the wrong spot like four possessions in a row. And Louisville, you know, with, with West in, in the ball screen, just just got to the rim and got, got open shots, either open threes on kickouts or, uh, you know, good, easy laps. I mean, 
Reese really struggled in the ball screen. And this team is they're they're just finding who they are right now. And I think that's where you know you would have hoped with some of the leadership they have, right? A senior in Ayala, uh, a junior in Dante Scott, who's played a ton of basketball, a fifth year guy in Fats. Like those guys need to step up and, and get everybody together because right now. You know, it just there wasn't a lot of fight to them in the kind of closing stages, and you know, obviously that the X and O side with with Wahab and Reese trying to figure out how they're in a garden space is is a concern. But it they they look like they still need a cup of coffee for their what 10 a.m. tip today. I mean, they they did not seem overly engaged. Um, these two teams combined to shoot 10 for 41 from beyond the arc. 10 for 41. I mean, there, there was not much pretty about this game. Uh, I, I think that with Louisville, they won the game the way that, that they're going to need to win games this year um, with toughness and, and kind of with that Chris Matt grit. And I thought that they found a way. And look, make no mistake about it. Um, Malik Williams was terrific and, and will need to continue to be a constant for Louisville, the six foot 11 senior out of Fort Wayne. Uh, I, I thought was great in this game when they needed stuff to happen. And then they, they get plays down the stretch from West, who started slow, finishes strong. But, guys, I'm disappointed. Kudus Wahab was in the – he was playing at a terrific level at the end of last season for Georgetown. And he went three for nine in this game, and he, he hasn't looked the part at all. Fats Russell looks overwhelmed. You know, there's one thing to talk about about maybe a level up, but it's it's not real. Like I've seen these guys play against high level competition and flourish. Mark Turgeon's got to get this stuff together here because Maryland. I don't know about. I agree with you, Robbie. The depth there, overrated. Uh, but but you look at their starting unit. There's some guys that that you look at and you say, man, why isn't this coming together for this team? This team shouldn't be going four for fourteen from three. Uh-huh. And Dante Scott, Dante Scott last year averaged 11 points, six rebounds, two assists, shot 50% from the field and 44% from three. So far, he's averaging 10 points, eight rebounds, shooting 39% from the field and 27% from three. Look, he's, he's going he's gonna to shoot it better than you – know, like there's a middle ground here where he's probably not going to shoot 44%. He's probably not going to shoot 27%. But the, they got to get better play from, from some of these veterans, right? I mean, obviously, again, it's it's guys like Wahab and, and, and Fats who are supposed to change this team. But the guys who are back, I mean, this, this was an NCAA tournament team for a reason last year, and that those guys got to start playing like it too. They, they need more from Ayala as well. I, I mean, coming into this season, everybody said he's going to be an all-Big Ten type guy, and, and Dante Scott, you know, as well. But Ayala's a guy that, well, you just expect him to take that jump, and I, I just haven't – have not seen it. Hmm. So Louisville comes away with the win. Hey, Winthrop is about to beat Washington. This comes after uh, Washington State, right? Took a loss tonight. Pac-12 struggling here as we wrap up there. Winthrop about to win that game. Washington State lost to Eastern Washington. BYU ends up beating Utah. Uh, The Pac-12 continues. Penn State beat Oregon State by 15. uh, Oregon State's off to a, a really rough year. Uh, so those are some final headlines here as we close out the night. Hey, tomorrow, uh, Bill Self meets Rick Pitino. You've got Kansas and Iona. Uh, you've got Dayton advancing to the uh, ESPN Events Invitational Championship game, taking on Belmont. Dayton and Belmont in an MTE title game. It's crazy. Um, so it'll be a fun 
College Hoops Sunday. Uh, he's Robbie Hummel. He is Kevin Sweeney. I'm John Fanta. We are on a 46-hour and 58-minute break because on Monday, we're off tomorrow night on Monday, Rob Doster and the crew will be back with you with Field of 68 after dark. I'm John Fanta. Sleep well, everybody. We'll see you Monday night. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.